grace and mercy and peace to you this morning from God our Father and from Jesus our Savior, and I'm praying to you enjoy it. There are some things that are so critical in life, they're worth saying a second time, and the Apostle Paul felt that way when he wrote the words in front of us in Philippians this morning. Here's Philippians 4, verse 4. Paul wrote this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Worth repeating because it's so important for our lives. Joy, not just the smile plastered on your faith, face, but the kind of joy that goes all the way down to your heart. And, and Paul says, rejoice not sometimes or every once in a while. He says, rejoice, rejoice always. And I see that all over the world, not just in the Christian church. People say, I want to have this feeling of, of happiness, or deeper than happiness, of joy in my heart all the time. But the more I'm a pastor, the more I get to know all of you. As I preach a sermon, I'm looking out over the congregation, and I can say, there's a person where I know their relationships are causing them a whole lot of pain right now. There's a person where their health has taken a total nosedive lately. There's a person where they look happy on the outside, but I know that inside, they're the kind of person who's telling themselves they're worthless all the time. I haven't yet a per met a person yet who, who doesn't need joy, that as we all come together into God's house and sit down, the reasons are different, but all of us need a reason to have joy in our hearts and not to give in to sadness and gloom and despair. But how is that? How is it we can rejoice in the Lord, not just every once in a while, but always? There, there's a book in our church library. I haven't read it cover to cover, but the title of the book is Happiness is a Choice. Some of you are nodding. Have you seen that book before? Now, I'd say there is something to that, that the point is, if you're down in the dumps and gloomy and unhappy and not rejoicing, don't just sit there. There are things that you can do in your life. Uh, but th the title grabs me and says, is, is it true that everybody who's not rejoicing has chosen not to rejoice? It's as simple as saying, I want to rejoice today and therefore I will. I, I, I think it's a lot more complex than that. I think there are a lot of people that say, I want to rejoice, but I, I find I can't. Here's a definition of joy from my dictionary. It says, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And there too, I'm not going to throw that out, I think there's something to that, but the problem with that is that if joy is tied with success, and with getting what I desire, the danger is that I could pursue joy by thinking, well, I need to make myself more successful. I need to get the thing my heart desires, then I really would, would rejoice. But if you're waiting for total success and everything your heart desires, that's a guarantee to be not rejoicing like 99.99% of the time. And you might even find that on the day when you meet your goal and your dream is realized, you might find that even then joy, true joy, eluded you deep down in your heart. So what is joy? What does it mean to rejoice? God's Word takes a whole different approach to it. God says that joy is not something I can just manufacture inside myself. 
It's not something that you can just wake up and say, I'm going to rejoice today. God says that joy, true joy, is something that only can come from him. So if I go back to that verse Paul wrote, every, every word here counts, not just rejoice and the always. There's a little phrase at the beginning. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. That it's only in the Lord and in our connection to him that we're able to rejoice and, and able to rejoice always. And what you'll find in the Bible is that joy is not so much something that we have to do, like it's one of the Ten Commandments. Instead, joy is something that God does. And so what I'm hoping today, as you leave this and take something away from the sermon, it's not, here's the list of things I have to do to be a more joyful person. I think some people approach joy like that, like it's a to-do item on their list. Instead, look at it as, if you want to rejoice, then have the Lord at work in your heart with the good message of the gospel, and that the more God's at work in you, the more he'll change your heart so that joy will just bubble up naturally, not that you have to force it. Joy is not something you should do or ought to do or, or have to do. Rejoicing is just what flows out of the heart of someone who knows, knows God. And if you'd say, Pastor, show me a verse in the Bible that's like that, I would pick Philippians chapter 4, which is the verses in front of us this morning. So the first verse is, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. That's verse 4. Verses 5 and 6 and 7 all dig deeper reasons why we can rejoice. And each one of them, it's not so much about us as it is about what God does for us inside. So, if you've got a paper copy of the worship folder on page 7, otherwise I'll put these verses up on the screen. Here's the next verse, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Maybe you're like me, I find that when my joy tanks, my gentleness tanks too. There's kind of this inverse relationship that, that the less joy I have, the more I tend to be crabby. And on the flip side, uh, the more joy I have in life, the more I'm able to be patient and gentle and kind to the people who are around me. Now, now Paul says, if we're talking about joy and rejoicing always, he says, let your gentleness be evident to, to all. Not just the people who are nice to you. Not just some of the people some of the time. Paul says that if, if you and I really truly are rejoicing, we will have a gentleness that flows to everybody around us. But again, it's, it's not so much, here's something on your to-do list. Look at the next line. The reason that we're able to have gentleness is because the Lord is near, which is totally an Advent theme. God is, is coming. Makes me think of a time when I was in a hospital with a kid who was about to go under anesthesia, had to have a surgery. First time he'd ever had anything like happen to that, and he was scared. Parents are there. What do you, what do you tell a kid uh, who's about to go under surgery? As parents, don't you tell, tell that child, we're going to be right here, and when you wake up, we're still going to be here. We're not going anywhere, and this is going to be over before you know it. And I hope a Christian parent would say too, and even more than me being here, God is here, is here too. 
And so as we go through our really hard times, whether it's relationships or health or just feeling horrible inside, I don't know what it is for you, what is it that God says to you and me? It's this, the Lord is, is near. How near is he? At, at Christmas, God, the maker of the whole universe, wrapped himself up in our human flesh and blood. That's how close he wanted to be to, to us. And, and the God who came into this world and died for you, he's promised he's not going anywhere. He is right with you right now. And the other way the Bible says the Lord is near is that even though life seems to drag on and troubles can drag out year after year, life is short. And before you know it, who are you going to see? You're going to see Jesus, your Savior, on the day that you die and you see his face in heaven. Or maybe it'll be the day when he comes back in glory on the clouds and judges the world and all of it ends. But either way, he is near is what the Bible says. And so even if you're facing something, maybe it's not you're the kid who's going into surgery, but no matter what you're facing, God says that he is, is near. And if he's near, then should you and I have this grumpy, crabby, bitter heart toward everyone around us? Well, no. If the Lord is near, then what flows out of that is a gentleness toward everyone as we rejoice in the Lord. That's verse 5. Next verse, Paul's going to turn to what's going on inside our heads. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. What's a real joy killer? It's if you have all kinds of anxiety filling your brain all the time. And I don't know what your favorite flavor of anxiety is to eat every day. I think for some people, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's called, you look at the past, and all these things that you did that were wrong, oh, I can't believe I did that, I'm such an idiot. Or all the things other people did to you, I can't believe they did this to me, and your whole mind nonstop is in this loop where you just keep living on the things in the past that you wish were different. Um, I've heard people, people call that ruminating, when you can't get over stuff from the past, or maybe you're, you're more future, future anxiety. All the things in life that are unknown, all the things in life that are outside your control, all the things in life that could go wrong and you don't have the power to stop them, you could spend your whole day just in this thought loop worrying about the future. Or maybe you're like me and you mix those together and between past and present and future, you've got plenty of anxiety to fill your, your whole mind. How can you rejoice if, if that's what's happening for you? What does Paul say about that? Again, it's not just change your brain or stop that. He, he gives you a promise from God. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Promise is about prayer and how God listens to every single thing you bring before him. And he's going to answer every single prayer that, that you bring him today. And even if it's not the answer that you were hoping for or not on the timeline that you were hoping for, that just means that God has something even better that he's going to give to you. So Paul says, when your mind is filled with all these anxious thoughts, what do you do? You take them and you make them known to God. This translation uses the word presenting. 
Peter in his letter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Like you take it and throw it on God. I don't know if you've got a mental picture as you pray. Uh, One I find myself using is that I've got all these things on my mind and one by one I put each of them in a bag and I put it in the bag and then I give the bag to God. And some nights I need an awful lot of bags. I don't know about you, how do you, is it you throw it on God, is it give it to him, how is it that that you go through one after another all the things in life that could fill you with anxiety, past, present, and future, and you commit them all to God and know that they're in his hands, and he promises that he does hear and answer all of your prayers, and if that's the case, then Paul would say you don't have to be consumed by anxiety anymore, you then can be free to rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 7 is this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now be careful, because you might think the sermon's over there and stand up. Uh, is that the verse you're familiar with, as, as the, the, pastor, the verse pastors often use at, at the end of a sermon? Uh, if, if you've heard that a lot, this is where it's from. It's from Philippians chapter 4. A promise about peace from God that transcends understanding. Illustration I've heard about that is that God's peace is kind of like a microwave. Uh, and, and here's the connection. I have no idea exactly how a microwave works. Maybe some of you know your physics way better than I do. That is an old-time magnetron. I know there's one of them inside a microwave, but how exactly electricity in a magnetron makes a microwave work, I don't know. But what I do know is this. Just about every day of my life, I put food in this box and push some buttons and it comes out hot. (laughs) How it works, in the end, that doesn't really matter. Uh, Somebody knows how it works and they've engineered it and they made my microwave, but all I know is if I need my food to be hot, I put it in the microwave and the microwave can heat it up. In a way, that's kind of how the, the peace is that God gives to us. It transcends not just human understanding. Paul says the peace God gives transcends all understanding. And if someone would say to me or or say to you, how is it that you, in spite of everything going on in your life right now, how is it you can say you have peace? How is it you can say you're not afraid to die when everybody else is afraid to die? Why aren't you afraid to die? In the end, I might have to say, I don't know exactly how it works, but it does. God put it together. He knows how it works. I can tell you some of the components. I can tell you that at the heart of it is Jesus, my Savior. That at Christmas, he came into this world as my Savior. That he lived for me. That when he died, he took away all my sins on the cross. Sins of anxiety and worry and and everything. He took them all away. I, I know that he rose from the dead on Easter. I've read God's word and I have all these promises from God. Can I tell you exactly how the peace from God fills my life? No, but I know it works. And every day, just as surely as putting food in a microwave heats it up, coming to Jesus gives me a peace I can't find anywhere else. And like Paul says, it's a peace that guards our hearts a peace that guards our minds. And to wrap it up one more time, the only place you're going to find something like this is in Christ Jesus. 
And so today, I don't know what it is that would rob your life of joy, take away your ability to rejoice always. What's the answer when you face stuff like that? I think there is value. You can read books in our church library. You can get advice from people in this world. Sometimes you do need a break. Sometimes you might need to make a change. Sometimes you might need to go to a therapist or a doctor because counseling and medicine, they do help. But as a Christian, the Apostle Paul would have you remember this. Go back again and just think about the goodness of God for you. The Lord is near. He listens to every prayer that you pray. He he invites you to take all your anxiety and bring it to Him. He promises that in Christ Jesus, your Savior, there is a peace that cannot be fully explained. It transcends understanding, but it is very real in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And if all that's true, then then can we be gentle in the way we treat other people? Well, yeah. And going back to this verse, I can say to you, like the Apostle Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Amen.